0: The storm outside was powerful, the thunder like the bellows of God, causing the place to moan and shake. Still lying in his bed, Wesley watched the deluge of rain sing across his window, the slight melody of raindrops playing in his ears. The gloom was so persistent there that it was often difficult to determine whether it was morning, afternoon, or night. Being in such an environment for so long had knocked his circadian rhythm for a loop, not to mention his mood. He lay there for a bit, listening to the storm soaking in its thunderous chants as it moved across the sky. Finally, he swooped his legs over the edge of his bed
4: and began getting up. So, what are we doing today? Continuing the charade that these bell are benevolent?
0: I don't know what else you expect us to do. They've been helpful thus far.
4: Of course they have. All monsters are helpful until they get what they want. Take it from me, little Wesley. I am one.
0: Wesley nodded, not in complete disagreement with the entity roosting in his head. He didn't think anyone in his group fully trusted the Belfine, but like usual, they had few other options. Wesley took his strange vapor shower and then got dressed. His thoughts carried a certain weight today, like they were made of lead. He was still concerned about the Belfine's intentions, as well as Moffat's strange behavior as of late. The conspiratorial side of him, which had grown since landing on Grimland, wondered if the two were connected. He tried to shake the feeling, an ethereal anvil sitting somewhere in his stomach. Wesley opened the door to an empty hallway. He knew Voren was just down the hall, and Sal was just around the corner. Rather than go downstairs and face the socially awkward servants, he trotted over to Vorin's room. He knocked on the door and heard the man's voice whisper through the thick, oaken skin of the door. Come in, Wes. Wesley opened the door, the thing letting out a subdued hiss as it revealed the room within. Inside was a scattering of books and tomes, the manifestation of a cluttered and messy mind. Walking in, he found Vorn scrutinizing one of his books, no doubt one he had poured ancient knowledge into via his inky secretions. He really still needed to learn how he did what he did, or what specifically allowed him to do it. He simply accepted that the world no longer made sense, and that things like ink dragons and malsayers existed despite the many natural laws he once thought the universe diligently upheld. Wesley walked inside the room, circumnavigating the small piles of books festooning the stone floor like small leather-bound islands. Foreign was nose-deep in one of his tomes, barely lifting his head to acknowledge Wesley's presence. Well, I see you've been busy. The books that the Belfine have
2: allowed me to transcribe have been exceptionally helpful. The history of this place is...
0: It's incredible. Anything that can help us get out of this godforsaken place?
2: Regrettably, no. But it has provided insights into the Prince of Snakes and his... sorted history. Like what? Well, for one thing, the story of the last Interfictorum is just one small piece of the story. Really? I'm intrigued. For one, we were thinking about it wrong. We presumed that the Prince of Snakes was eventually defeated and captured. However, according to these tags, legend tells another story. Now, uh, I'm assuming each of Grimland's... uh, Gion's cultures have slightly different interpretations based on the particular culture and religious lens. But from what I've read, there seems to be a core agreement about what happened. Like what? Well, for one, the Prince of Snakes was never defeated. He gave himself up of his own volition.
0: But it doesn't make any sense. From everything we've gathered about him, he was well on his way to conquering Grimland. I mean... The city that Lunak destroyed, his defeat of the Erythim, and his killing of Amara's mother all seem to point to his inevitable victory. Why go to all that trouble just to throw it away? It doesn't make sense. So it would seem. But the texts state that
2: to secure his legacy, he required his poisoned blood to be spilled upon the soil by the pious. The texts tell of when he surrendered himself to the presiding king, Drujan
0: Osra. Wait, that's, that's the name of the last Interfectorum, right? He was the king?
2: Yes. Do you remember what a said? He claimed Osra was one of the Twelve Ushers, and that it was the Prince's plan to die that day. Well, it turns out that twelve men of the utmost integrity and honor were tasked to bring the Prince to a sacred mountain, and entomb him.
0: So the Prince hands himself over, and is then brought to this holy place to be killed? Locked away? Indeed. Except they
2: were on strict orders not to kill him. They bound him in chains and shackles, and brought him to that mountain. It seems they believed the Prince. If his blood were to touch the earth, then a catastrophe of some sort would occur. An argument? I'm guessing as much. But as the story is told, their journey was rife with temptation. The Prince using his otherworldly abilities to persuade them to kill him. One by one, they succumbed to the Prince's guiles. The Ushers attempting to murder the Prince. Consequently, the other Ushers were forced to take each other's lives, The king had to kill two of his own brothers. This happened until only one remained. The last Interfectorum. Exactly. Drujan, however, did successfully inter the prince in his prison. Now, do you remember the strange sculptures we saw in Misereth? The statues of the woman entangled by snakes and the man about to plunge a knife into another, more devious-looking individual? Yeah, they were all over the place. It was upon his journey back from the mountain that the king was assailed by images of his sister buried in snakes. Her body punctured with bites and dripping with venom, her face stuck in screaming riptis. It drove Drugin to return to the mountain, unearth the prince, and slay him upon its beak. It said that the prince died laughing, his blood thundering down the mountain and painting the world in blackness, corrupting all land and life. Struck with horrible guilt, Drujan threw himself from the top of the mountain, killing himself for dooming the world. Of course, this is all legend, but... What? What you said about there being Serpent energy here, it corresponds with the Prince's blood corrupting the land. It's feasible that his blood activated or perhaps even created a network of Serpent lines across the continent. That would explain why everything we run into seems warped or twisted somehow. Jesus, could one man do that? The Prince is not a man, he's something else. A thing that the Aerithun created. To be honest, I'm, I'm not quite sure what he is. I'm hoping some of the other
0: tax of transcribed can help me understand. Let's hope. Although, I'm hoping you don't run into them. I just. I don't know. I came here not expecting to come back, but. I don't know how much more of this I can take. Precisely
2: as much as you have to, I've found. We must all endure our West, and from what you told me, you've already endured the worst. I suppose so. Well, I suppose we should start our day. Perhaps wake up Sal. He'll sleep forever if you let him.
0: <laughs> Probably in that vapor shower thing. You seemed really taken with that the other day. Warren <laughs> put the book in front of him on a stack sitting on the floor. He went into the bathroom, got dressed, and then joined Wesley out in the hallway. The two sauntered to Sal's room around the corner and knocked on the door. <knocked> Silence. Wesley knocked again. <knocked> Sal, you up, man? Sal, you there? The two men looked at each other quizzically, shrugging their shoulders. Vorin tried the knob, and the door slowly squeaked open. Ah. Vorin walked in first and found the room empty. The bed tussled a bit. He's not in here. What? Must be downstairs already. Maybe eating breakfast? Must be. Wesley and Vorin quickly went down the winding staircase. However, upon reaching the bottom floor, all was quiet. Is anyone here? Voren's voice echoed for a few seconds, and was answered by the soft click of shoes. Shortly, one of the strange servants rounded the corner.
4: Yes, what can I do for you? Uh, our friend, Salvatore.
0: Has he been down here? He's not in his room. Uh,
4: yes. He was down here briefly. Gloros Oleric stopped by for a visit, but I informed him you were still asleep. He insisted I not wake you, and offered to show Salvatore more of the city. He said that when you wake up, I am to send for an entourage to deliver you to another Manifactorium. There is apparently something there he wanted to show you.
0: Okay. Well, suddenly Wesley realized they were short of another's presence. Wait a second. What about Moffat? Have you seen Moffat down here? The strange man looked puzzled.
4: I'm afraid he hasn't been down yet. He must still be asleep.
0: That's hard. He's, He's usually up by now. Wesley and Vorn quickly made their way up the stairs and down the hallway. Wesley was in the lead, but Vorn was only slightly behind. Reaching Moffat's door, Wesley issued a stern series of knocks. Moffat, you in there? Moffat! Wesley didn't hesitate to open his door, which swung open with a quicked vehemence. Fuck! He's not in here. What? He's not fucking in here. He's gone. Jesus, where could he have gone? Wesley huffed and quickly made his way back down the staircase. The servant was still standing there, idle. Our friend Moffat, he's gone. Are you sure you haven't seen him? A look came over the face of the man that Wesley hadn't seen before. On all other occasions, the man's countenance was chiseled from stone, an unmalleable surface that didn't change. But upon informing him of Moffat's sudden absence, his face shifted, a brief expression of worry crossing his almost indiscernible visage. The man finally spoke.
4: I'll, I'll inform my betters, see, um, see if they know where he is. In the meantime, I'll inform my lords that you're ready
0: for your escort. Wesley and Vorin nodded and then took a seat in the living room. What do you think? I don't know. It's totally feasible that Salvatore went with
2: Alaric, but Moffat? I don't know if even he would be brazen enough to wander into the city without telling anyone. God damn it! I knew we couldn't trust that son of a bitch! What the hell is he up to? One thing I've learned over the years is never presume you know what a Muffet or
0: Cowin are up to. It'll just drive you mad. What the hell reason could he have to just leave? Unless, of course, he knew something was going to happen. Jesus, what if Leave me. I've already thought of that.
2: And should we make a break for it? Well, if something is up, that means they have Sal.
0: The thought hit like a brick. A weight settled in his guts like he'd eaten a bowl of lead. Despite not wanting to, he'd grown close to these men. He lost his wife and child in the old world, and lost his friend Riva in the new one. He wouldn't lose another. While going with the belfine was a risky decision, he had one ace in the hole. Hesperius.
4: Ah, little Wesley, how cunning of you. If the Balfine are not on the levels, so to speak, you'll find out where old Sal is being held, and then... <laughs> allow me some fun.
0: Exactly. I figured you wouldn't mind. I can always rely on you to be selfish. You won't allow me to die if that means you go too. Though, I'm a bit worried about these Chimerith. I've got
4: an army of them at their back. I'm insulted, Wesley. I have fought and killed far more lethal enemies. I have...
0: Okay, okay, I know. I I, I, I don't need a list of things you've killed over the eons. I'll, I'll take your word for it.
4: <laughs> Pity. I enjoy a trip down memory lane. And what are we to do with our little ink dragon? You will see us, yes? You know that I don't like witnesses. Yes, yes. Uh,
0: the way I see it, if these Belfine wanted to kill us, they could have easily done that by now. <sighs> I'll wait until they take us to wherever they take us. Then, you do your thing. My, my, Wesley.
4: Perhaps all this killing has rubbed off on you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wesley finally looked at Vorin. I'm not leaving Sal behind. The two men sat there silently, waiting patiently for their monstrous entourage to arrive. They would either be given a not-so-delightful tour of another terrible science project, or brought to their death. They had been walking for about 25 minutes when they arrived at a large building. Like the last Manifactorium, the place had a religiosity, an aura of divinity built into its rock and metal bones. It was more significant than the previous place, with a few more buttresses and towers. The behemoths accompanying them were stoic as usual, lumbering forward, pulled by the invisible leashes of the battlefield. Upon arriving at the place, Alaric was waiting just outside the threshold. He was wearing a similar robe as before, various mechanical and organic appendages wheeling somewhere beneath the skirt of the thing. His partially reptilian face displayed a kindness, despite the cold-blooded facade.
3: Ah, I'm glad you made it here, okay. I am sorry to hear about Mr. Moffat's abrupt disappearance. We are currently looking into the matter. Are you sure perhaps he just didn't go for a walk or peruse the city more? Anything's possible, I suppose, but I don't think he would. Hmm, Strange. But the Scorched Children have been known to infiltrate the city from time to time. Though, honestly, I don't know what they would want with your friend. But please be aware that we are doing everything possible to find him. We have a multitude of Chimeras searching for him as we speak. Thank you. Well, shall we
0: begin? Wesley and Voren nodded and followed Alaric into the building. Like before, the lobby was painted in drab hues, and the mouths of hallways were pitch chasms with no end. By the way, uh, we were told Salvatore was with you. Where is
3: he? Ah, yes. He's with my assistant, Dredden. I believe they're finishing up soon. He should be arriving any time now.
0: Vorn and Wesley shared a quick glance, and then looked back to Alaric, who gestured for them to follow. Like last time, the men wandered down a dark hallway tiny red lights punctuating the walls. Once they approached the entrance, a mechanical arm exited the wall and scanned his eyes. After a second or two, the door opened, singing a hiss of air. The men walked across the threshold, the sound of industry confronting them. Unlike their previous visits, the lab was occupied by Belfi. In some, Wesley could see them modifying their various cybernetic accoutrements. In others, strange machines glowed and whirred, sometimes creating bizarre images of their subjects. Still, others were in incubators of a sort, their bodies metamorphosing before his very eyes. Alloys, flesh, and even rocks seemed to emerge from various body parts as if endemic to their biology. After passing another set of labs, they entered a labyrinthine hallway, one lit with flickering amber lights. Suddenly, Alaric looked to the side as if listening to something.
3: Thank you. I apologize. I I have to check on something. I'll only be a few minutes.
0: Alaric flashed a brief smile and then went into another room. Well, that was strange.
2: Indeed. I wonder what's going on.
0: Wesley shrugged his shoulders and walked about the hallways. Many of the rooms contained alien machines and technologies. Things he couldn't imagine the function of. Walking to the end of the hall, he could see large vats of greenish fluid lining the walls in another room. What was more were the creatures suspended inside, grotesque things of various hideous shapes. Ford, come take a look at
2: this. Jesus, what are those?
0: I, I don't know. As if instinctually, Wesley's hand went to the door handle and twisted. He saw his hand change shape for only an instant, a muscled, clawed thing, and the handle broke off. The door slowly wind open. Wes, what the hell are you doing? Shit, I I just kind of automatically tried the door and the handle came off. (sighs) That's
2: rather strange. With all this technology, you'd think an alarm would go off.
0: I don't know. His curiosity further compelling him, he pried the door open further and entered the neighboring room. What the hell are you doing, Wes? Wes shushed him and crept further into the room. Shh, damn it. Foreign hesitantly followed suit, slowly sneaking into the greenlit room. Before them were floating corpses, mangled in ways Wesley didn't think was possible. Their limbs were atrophied, resembling the branching of a dead tree. They were little more than husks. Lives drained somehow of their vitality, their bodies wilted and warped. As Wesley walked down the narrow aisle, he recognized one of the things. Foreign, look. It's it's one of the children of Amara. Christ, what did they do to it? Similar to the others, its body was contorted, a maze of zigzagging limbs and digits pointing every which way. At the same time, it was curled and wilted like a dead leaf. It looks like they all underwent a similar procedure, I imagine. Wesley looked over to Voren, whose face was as pallid as a corpse. His eyes were affixed to the tank at the end, horror swirling in his pupils. Wesley slowly walked over, trepidation traveling down his legs. Then he understood Voron's dread. In the sizable emerald container was the body of a human, its form contorted into gnarls and knots. The thing's face would haunt his dreams, a mask of pure agony. To make matters worse, its eyes suddenly darted about, madness having long taken the mind reeling behind them. My God, the people. The people that came before us, they were excellent subjects. Suddenly, Wesley felt something sharp shoved into his neck and shoulder and then a warm sensation and tingling overcame his body. His legs and arms felt rubbery, and blackness was swallowing the world. His consciousness faded to the echoing
3: words of his assailant. We did wish to have more conversations with you, but it seems we'll need to expedite the process. What a pity.
0: Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anslone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at Maltopia.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be.